today, and I think in order to start a series about movies, we have to start as any movie would start. So, Corey, can you hit that for me, if you would, please? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, yes. I'm not sure about you all, but... That sound gives me goosebumps, okay? Um, last night, honestly, we were watching uh, the trailer for The Man of Steel because in two weeks, we're doing uh, the Father's Day is two weeks from today, if you guys didn't know that. But in those two weeks, uh, we're going to have a dress up like a superhero that day. So if you want to come in your underoos and, um, well, maybe not, but uh, at least a cape or something like that, if you want to come dressed up, we'd love to have you be a part of that with us and the kids. Um, but as we are watching The Man of Steel preview I'm a big Superman geek, and man, watching that, I got goosebumps in my arms, and I'm like, Christy, check that out. That is, this is going to be a great movie, and she just looked at me and shook her head and was like, I, I'm like, I'll go watch it with somebody else. That's fine. That's not a big deal. Um, but, you know, I am excited about at the movies. I've been a movie fan since as long as I can remember. I'm one of those guys that if it comes up in a conversation, I will use a movie quote to get my point across. Um, and it's even funny because my very first thing that I have that, that I've written down here is I can't believe it's June already. I don't know about the rest of you guys. If you look inside your bulletins there, you'll see I wrote a little note there to all of you guys and said, you realize it was five months ago yesterday that you made your New Year's resolutions? Now, most of you probably don't remember what they are, but you, it's been five months since that point in time. And to quote a movie that I grew up watching and loved, and maybe you did too, but it's called Ferris Bueller's Day Off. At the end, Matthew Broderick's laying on his pillow. He's got his hands behind his head, and he says this, Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, what happened the last five months? Where'd it go? We went through... Now, all these different things at church, we went through all in, and we, we went through, man, we had Easter, and then we got into the whole thing of the protect, your, protect the house, and, and now we're at the movies. I've been playing on at the movies forever. I've, these billboards out here, the, the cardboard cutouts, is because I've been bugging the, the movie theater since January that say, hey, I'm going to need those for the summer, so make sure you save them for me. Write my name down on whatever you have to do so you can remember to give them to me. We're moving fast. And the thing is, is that we are thinking about already planning through the summer, and planning next school year, and getting things ready to launch for next school year. And it's like, we just keep moving and keep moving and keep moving. And with that, I just want to give a quick little side note. We're going to, um, this Wednesday, uh, we're not having youth, uh, the last youth Wednesday night was last week, but this Wednesday at the Hub, from 7 to about 7.45, we're going to take some time and just pray about what the summer has, about what's coming up for next year, and then the following week, if you see in your bulletins, Thursday night, we're going to have what we call a family meeting. Anybody who's a regular attender of Paragon, anybody who's an owner, anybody who's a partner, anybody who wants to be there to kind of see where we're going next, because we have a multiple different options coming up in, in, uh, in the future, and we need some input. We want people to kind of give us what they'd like to see, because we want to make sure that we stay on the mission that we are called to. We do not want to be just another church, because there's plenty of just other churches out there, and they don't have to set up and tear down every week, so we could all just disperse and go meet at them if we just wanted to be another church. We want to be on mission. We want to see people, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, meet Jesus in a real, authentic way and get involved in fellowship here. That is why we exist. We want to see Rio Rancho meet Jesus Christ. 
And that is why we exist. And so we need to make sure we stay on that. And there's a, there's a guy by the name of Andy Stanley, probably one of my favorite communicators that's out there. His dad's name is Charles Stanley. So if you've been involved in church for a long time, you may have seen or heard from Charles Stanley. But Andy is, a, is probably one of the biggest uh, church pastors, not biggest, I guess, pastor of the biggest churches out there. And he has a thing called Vision Leaks. And sometimes uh, we forget where we're going. We just become complacent with what we're doing. So we want to make sure in the next two weeks, with this Wednesday with prayer and next Thursday, just taking time to have that family meeting and kind of get into the right direction and make sure summer's going where it needs to go. And by the time we hit September, we're in full steam going that way. So please make sure to mark that on your calendar because the reason why we're going to pray, um, I was reading this yesterday and had a chance to share uh, during a graduation yesterday as well. But when Moses is talking to God, and he's leading the Israelites around uh, in, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 15. And, Corey, you don't have to pull it up or anything. But in Exodus chapter 33, verse 15, they're having this conversation. And Moses basically tells God, God, we don't want to go anywhere unless you go with us. So that is the reason why we're going to take time to pray this Wednesday and get together next Thursday. Because we don't want to go anywhere unless God is going with us. Now, back to what we're talking about today. Iron Man 3. Kind of actually has to deal with the same thing. How many of you guys have seen Iron Man 3? Just raise your hand really fast for me. Okay. Great movie. I promise if you haven't seen it, I will not spoil it for you today. Okay? I promise not to do that. As a matter of fact, every movie in the series coming along here, um, I have to watch them for research. I know. Tough job. But I will not spoil the movie for you when you come in here. So don't ever be like, well, I really want to see that movie and I don't want to hear what he has to say about it. Hopefully, actually, it just gives you a different view of what the movie has for it all. So I promise not to do that. Now, I love the Iron Man character. I love the Iron Man character because he is a lot like Batman. And I like Batman, too. Actually, I just kind of like superheroes in general. But th the idea of those two guys, they were not born super. They did not get the, the amazing superpowers. What they did is they took what they were given and used it to become super. To become that superhero. And I think, in all honesty, that could be a sermon in itself, but that's not what I'm going to focus on today. That's not what I'm going to focus on today, because really, if you look at almost every comic book hero, there could be an entire series on just specific comic book heroes. Just one on Superman, and all the different ways that he relates to being a Christ-like figure. We have one on Iron Man, one on Batman. I mean, we could just go on and on and on, and just be like kind of that, that Comic-Con church, I guess, would be what we'd end up being. But... You know, you look at these guys, and you see all the things that they do, the whole good versus evil, but during the good versus evil, they also have these internal battles that go on, just like every one of us. For those of you who aren't familiar, though, with the story of Iron Man, Iron Man was a comic book series that was, was written by Stan Lee back in the 60s for the Marvel uh, comic book industry. And Iron Man is about a guy by the name of Tony Stark, who develops weapons, and he sells them to the military, but then he starts finding out that some of the weapons that he's selling are ending up in bad guys' hands. If you've seen the movies, if you've seen 1, 2, and 3, uh, as well as the Avengers, you know the progression that takes place. You know that he's, he's captured up front. He has to build himself an Iron Man suit to survive from the things that happen to him, and he becomes who he is. And if you watch throughout the movies, through Iron Man 1, you see at the very end of the movie... And if, I, if, you haven't, if you haven't seen it yet, this is a spoiler alert, okay? Um, and you also just need to go to Redbox. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, what's the very last thing he says? 
He's told, don't say that you're Iron Man. Keep it a secret. Keep it kind of on the download, like Clark Kent is to Superman, like, you know, th- th- those kind of things. Keep it there. And what's he do in the in- interview at the end? He fixes his tie, and he says, I am Iron Man. And then that awesome riff from Black Sabbath kicks in. It's like, and you're like, and all the guys that were like, man, I remember this song. Yeah, this song. But it's a whole other whole sermon in that, too. But, um, you know, he gets up there, and he says that. And it, it starts a progression of who he is. But then we move into Iron Man 2, and you see he starts having some inner battles. Some inner battles that the, the suit can't protect him from. And those things carry over into the movie of the Avengers, where it ties all in together. And as that is right there, you start to see the human side. And a question arises that comes full front right in our face during Iron Man 3. Is Tony Stark... Iron Man, when he has the suit on and the suit off. Who is Tony Stark? Who are we really? And you know, that's a question I think we can ask ourselves. Who are we really? Who are we as an individual? Is it what we wear and what we do? Or is there something more to us than that? You can say that about our church. Is our church the building that we meet in? Because so many people will say that. Oh, you're the church that meets in Cleveland High School. Oh, you're the church that's over there on that corner. When I ask people where they go to church, they don't know the name, but they know where it's at. Oh, I go to that one church that's over there. It's down there by the river. You know, those kind of things. Is that what defines us, or is it what we do? How exactly are we defined? Who is it that we really are? I think when we ask that question, there's a Christianese answer. Christianese is the language that Christians have a tendency to talk that people on the outside don't quite understand, like calling each other brother all the time. We say this. We say, sure, we know that God cares about what's on the inside. We understand the verses when he was talking to David that I look at the inside and I look at the heart. A man judges by the outer appearance, but I look at the heart. We know that, but... We have a hard time actually processing it and doing it. We understand that the world is different. We understand that what people wear is like a preview to who they are. That we can either judge or misjudge them by what they wear or what they have on the outside. I mean, if I walked in here and I had overalls on and an oil-stained shirt, you would assume one thing. And if I walked in here with an Armani suit on, you would assume something completely different without ever talking to me. And that is the truth in it all. And up to this point in Iron Man 3, Tony Stark's been defined by his suit. Tony Stark has been defined by his suit. You know, even though he defines himself in the movie The Avengers, I wrote it down, a genius billionaire playboy philanthropist underneath that suit, he is still defined by his suit. You know, I know when I wear a suit, I feel this different kind of confidence. Maybe you do too when you have the nice clothes on. But let me ask you this. If I only shopped at secondhand stores, if I only went to Goodwill to buy all my clothes, would I be different than I am right now? Would I be a different person than if I shopped at Macy's and bought only high-end stuff? Would I be different? I know there was a, a thing just recently they were talking about on the news about a mom who made her daughter only shop at Goodwill to prove a point and then got... The mom got in trouble for some sort of child abuse for doing it. I'm not even joking. And that's how it made the news. But what is it 
about the outside that really defines who we are inside. Is it really that way? Is it who we are? That's a question I think that Tony Stark came face to face with in Iron Man 3. Who are we really? What defines us? You see, so many times what we do or what we wear seems to define us. I mean, people introduce themselves by their jobs. I'm a salesman. I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm a soldier. I'm a, I mean, all the things we have this outside, but does that really make us who we are? I'm a student. I'm a mom. I'm a soccer mom. I'm an athlete. I'm a musician. Is that who we really are? How about churchgoer? We throw that in there too. I'm a churchgoer. I go to church on Sundays. For each thing, we put on a different set of clothing to try to find who we really are. But this is it. It boils right down to this very question. If you have your note pages, I'm sorry, (laughs) it's one of those weeks, but our printer actually ran out of toner about halfway through the note pages, so some of you have them and some of you don't. Um, Next week, I'll probably have that fixed. But does what you do or what you wear define who you are? If you answer yes to that question, why? And if you answer no, what does define who you are? What does do it? Because I think when we ask that question, it really does have two answers that are both right. There's not really a wrong answer. Because yes, what we wear does kind of define who we are. And what we do does define who we are. But no, at the same time, because it really isn't what's on the inside. But how do people know what's on the inside without putting stuff on the outside? It's kind of a trick question. And the thing is, this this question got inspired this week by a great conversation I had with a guy that I happen to be related to. My dad is, um, well, let's put it this way. This is how he defines himself. He's part of the church of M-Mob. M-Mob means mind my own business. He is not a church guy. He doesn't want anything to do with church. If I ever talk to him about church, he wants to change the subject as quickly as possible. He doesn't want anything to do with it, doesn't like all the things, yet he has a son that's a pastor, which is kind of a funny, kind of th- funny thing here. And he, he wants nothing to do it, but he lives in this conservative town in West Virginia. In this conservative town, they have friends and they have neighbors that go to church every Sunday. And those friends and neighbors, being good friends and neighbors, do exactly what I've asked you to do. Invite your neighbors who don't go to church to come to church. My dad and stepmom politely refuse. Because that's what they do. They don't want anything to do with it. And this week, my dad called me on Friday. And I'm telling you, anytime I ever try and talk religion with him, anytime I ever try and talk anything like that with him, doesn't want anything to do with it. And he asks me a whole series of questions that was just mind-blowing, almost like I couldn't believe I was having a conversation with this guy about this. This guy just happened to be my dad. Because it started off about how he wanted to rub it in that the Cubs had beaten the Diamondbacks, and then it just changed his spirituality real fast, and it was really strange. And he, he goes, can I ask you a question? He said, I have all these friends, all these neighbors who go to church. And they all claim Christianity. They all wear that suit, if you will, on Sunday mornings. But, he said, why is it that my marriage is lasting longer than theirs is? And my finances are in better shape than theirs are. And the fact that my morality... And my decision-making is a whole lot better than theirs, except on Sunday mornings. How does that happen? Let me ask you, how in the world would you answer that? 
other than the fact that the church is full of sinners just the same, but how do you explain that to somebody? Because you have to ask me, it's like, why would I bother going to church and having to sit through music and sit through a message and be challenged and then turn around and do nothing with it? How can that be possible? Why would I do that? Why don't I just sleep in on Sunday morning? Why don't I just mow my grass on Sunday morning? Why, why not? And I said, Dad, I, I wish I could give you the answer other than the fact that people are people. And we do. We're hypocritical. We, we put on a face. We put on, the, the word hypocrite actually comes from the Greek word for play actor. That's what we do. We play act Christianity way too much. God is not the God of our life. God is the God of our Sunday morning. I said, Dad, I, I don't know how to explain that to you other than the fact that that's just the way it is. It's kind of like being a fan of the Cubs, Dad. <laughs> You're a fan until they really start losing, and then you don't want anything to do with them. You change your license plate on your car, and you cover up your bumper sticker. You know, it, it's just one of those things. That's what, you don't want to be related to it when things aren't exactly the way they should be. And I guess maybe he got it because we went on for 45 minutes talking about that. And it kind of actually changed my whole message around because my message today was really going to be about Tony Stark's demons and the demons of the past that he has to fight with and you see it in the movie. And instead, I'm like, no, it's about the suit that we wear and what really defines us. And about when we walk out of this building today, who's going to know it other than the fact we say it with our mouth? Because does what we say, I am a Christian, is that good enough? Or does something have to actually back it up? Because when I ask that question, it's easy to know the right answer. Yeah, you can't just say, I can say I'm an astronaut, but if I've never been to space, people aren't going to believe me. There's those things that, that tie into it all, and we see too many people do that. To say they're one thing, but their life doesn't reflect it. Should a Christian's life reflect their beliefs? The answer is yes. Absolutely. Does a Christian's life reflect their beliefs? Not very often. And that's where my dad asks the question, and that's where it kills me to know that my dad is probably part of a giant majority of people that say, I do not want to go into church because I've met the people that go there. That's a scary thing. And it really changed everything that I thought about this week. And it really changed everything that I was going to do. I was up till 12.45 last night changing my message. Because I knew that God had something else. That he was leading me in a different direction. If you do me a favor, open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 25. Because I think Jesus talks a little bit about this. About this acting like a Christian and actually being a Christian. And it's found in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. If you open up your Bibles to that, I'm going to go ahead and open up in prayer as, as we get into this. That, because this is a very difficult passage. Like it was hard for me to read. It was hard for me to say, yeah, God, this is what I'm supposed to talk about. But I don't really want to. So let's, let's pray that God just opens our hearts and our minds to what he has to say to us. And not only does that, but maybe challenges us to do something with it. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. And thank you that, that, God, when we open it up and read it, it's very real. It's very applicable to us right here, right now, today. Even though it's 2,000 years old. And, God, there are people on the outside looking in going, how in the world can you follow a book that is that old? Well, it's very easy because there's historical proof that it's there and then it's very applicable. That we can use it. God, I pray today that we do. You open our hearts, you open our minds, that you move our feet in the direction you want us to go. We pray it in your name. 
Amen. Let's read it together if you will. It says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is Jesus talking, and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne. And the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will plate the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones. Into the eternal fire prepare for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or in sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I will tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. You see, Jesus here in Matthew 25 is telling his followers that he wanted them to be a living sermon. A living, breathing, touchable sermon. And that's where my dad has the biggest issue. You see, my dad has neighbors. They live in West Virginia. They live on like six acres, and it's just all grass. I know we don't understand what that is. It's the green stuff that kind of grows. They have some out here, little patches by the baseball field. Um, he goes out, and he mows his grass, and then he goes over to his 96-year-old neighbor, Mr. Hughes, because Mr. Hughes wants to do it himself but isn't quite able to, and he mows all of his grass for him. And he goes to the older lady across the street, and then the divorced woman down there, and he mows all their grass for them on his riding lawnmower. No other Christians in the neighborhood are offering to do it, yet my dad goes out and does it. And he says, why is that? Why is it that we're not being seen for our love, yet only heard? Jesus himself practiced what he preached. As a matter of fact, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. In the book of Acts, Peter tells us this about Jesus. He says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. That same Holy Spirit and power that we have. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Luke chapter 14, Luke tells his followers about Jesus. He says, Then they turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or banquet, he said, Don't invite your friends or brothers or relatives and rich neighbors. For they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could never repay you. You see, Jesus taught it, he lived it, and he modeled it. That is something that we need to do. That is something that I need to do. But when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, do we do that? When it comes to the commands of Jesus, do we follow what he says? I'm not sure if you guys are into a guy by the name of Francis Chan. 
I honestly believe that he's kind of like a modern-day prophet. He says some things that you're just like, wow, punch me in the face. That's it. I found this video about the idea of disciple-making, and that's one of the main commands that, that Jesus gives us. Go and make disciples. But yet, how often is the church churning out what we might call disciples? Corey, can you do me a favor and run that video for me about Francis Chan? When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right? Most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. It's Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize it. You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know? It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I'd start making disciples. Unfortunately, isn't that the truth? That we listen to the truth of God's word every Sunday. And some of you read it every day. And yet we just take it and we hold on to it. Instead of actually applying it. It's like we talked about in our um, Sunday morning. Or sorry, our Friday morning men's Bible study. The whole acrostic of soap. And I've given you guys before. If you've been, uh, been around. Uh, one Sunday I gave you all a box of Irish Spring. And said, listen, this soap is amazing. I love Irish Spring. I love the way it smells. I love everything about it. But it's not going to do you any good in the box. You actually have to open up the box, take it out, and apply it for it to actually clean you up and do what it needs to do, serve its purpose. And that's the same way it is with the Bible. We don't have this tendency to apply it. We just take it out and we're like, hmm, it smells so good. Oh, it, it has this great message to it, and this is the way it is. And I'm going to tell everybody else about how great it is, but not actually apply it. I looked online and found this rewrite of this, what Jesus is telling you to the goats. And I thought, man, this is applicable. Let me, let me share this with you. This guy puts this. So I was hungry and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. I was imprisoned and you crept off quietly to your chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless and you preached to me this, of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so close to God, but I'm still very hungry and lonely and cold. You see, I think the person that write, wrote that realizes what Christ is saying, that if we merely say, but yet do not do, we are living an empty, powerless faith. 
an empty, powerless faith. And before we go any further, I, I, there's one thing that every time I've ever read this passage, it conflicts with other things that say in the Bible. At least it seems to conflict right off the top of the surface, and that is this. It seems as if Jesus is saying, you have to do in order to be saved. I mean, it, it seems that way when it says that, yet so many other things in the Bible kind of go the other way. It doesn't say you have to do good deeds to get your way into heaven, yet it sounds like Jesus is saying the fact that you didn't do these things, that's why you're going to hell. And that's like every other religion that's out there. I mean, every religion that's out there, that's the whole idea, is do good deeds and make sure that you get yourself into this heaven. Yet it's not Christianity. Because Paul tells us in a handful of different verses, and there's t- so many more, but for time's sake, we're only going to point out a couple of them. Titus 3.5, Paul tells us, He, who is God, Jesus, saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. It wasn't anything that we had done. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. In other words, Paul says, you can't buy your way into heaven by doing good things, which is a great thing. Because I can't imagine, and I know there's churches out there, and I know there's religions out there that believe this. I can't imagine living my life knowing, did I do enough good today to outweigh my bad so I can still get into heaven? That'd be a terrible way to live, thinking that it was based on something that I did. But what is it How is it that what Paul writes is true when Jesus says what he says in Matthew 25? And I believe this is it. I believe what Jesus is saying that if you are a child of mine, if you are a follower of mine, people will know it not by your words, but instead by your good deeds. It is a reflection of who you are, not by the suits and the dresses that we wear, but by what we actually do. And I'm not going to spoil Iron Man 3 for you, but if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. There's a time when he has to make a decision, and the suit isn't available. Is he still Iron Man without the suit? Are we still Christians when we're not sitting in church on Sunday mornings with the bumper sticker on our car? Does that make us who we are? Is it the Jesus fish that we stick on there? Or is it by what we do? that everybody else can see who we are. As a matter of fact, Matthew 7, Jesus says this, you can identify them, being the Christians, the followers of him, by their fruit, that is, by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So, every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not by their words, not by their clothes, but by their actions. In Matthew 25, Jesus is basically saying, this is what a Christian looks like. This is what a follower of mine looks like. He said they'll feed the hungry, they'll give to the thirsty, they'll give a bed to strangers, they'll clothe the naked, look after the sick, visit people in prison. Christ is saying, You want to recognize a follower of mine? This is it. This is how it happens. But the people that will be claiming to be Christians that aren't like that. So what's that say? I think Jesus says real plain and simply, if you're not bearing my fruit, you're not wearing my name. 
the difference between fake Christianity and real Christianity. And I think the best way to describe this is if you've ever been to the Hub, which is our offices that we're going to be doing this prayer meeting out here on, on Wednesday. Um, there's fl- fake flowers in the two planters out front. And um, we moved in in November, and those same flake, fake flowers have looked the same all the way through the winter and still look good today. They look great. Their purpose really is to look pretty all the time. I don't have to water them. I don't have to fertilize them. I don't have to do anything with them except readjust them when the wind blows. Fake Christians are much the same. They're just there to look pretty. But they're not rooted in anything. They don't give off an aroma. They don't reproduce. They're merely there to look pretty. And I think that's the difference between the sheep and the goats that, Matthew, uh, that uh, Jesus talks about in Matthew 25. You see, goats, they don't look exactly like sheep, but they're you know, roughly the same size and they sometimes the same color. You know, they're, they're similar, but they're not the same thing. There's imitations of the same thing. No matter how bad a goat wants to be a sheep, they're not. Unless they're doing the sheep things. And there's one more application to be found in the fake versus real flowers. Anybody in here grow flowers? Raise your hand. Anybody got rose bushes out front? Nobody has rose bushes? I mean, New Mexico, that's the only thing that grows is weeds. And rose bushes are just a glorified weed, right? Um, the Looking at a rose bush. When there's no rose flower on it, is it still a rose bush? It doesn't, it doesn't change into something else, does it? It, it is a rose bush. Whether it has the, the, the fruit, which would be the rose, on it or not. Now, the rose bush will show evidence of what it's doing by that rose. But what it actually is goes right down to the root of it all. That it is a rose bush one way or the other because where it's rooted. Our fruit is the good deeds that we have in salvation. But our salvation is the root that we have that is found in Jesus Christ. Good deeds don't make you a Christian, but if you are a Christian, they'll be the evidence of your faith. They'll be the evidence of what you actually believe. And you know, some people might be asking in this point right now, they're like getting a little freaked out, thinking that I'm saying, okay, you're not a Christian. Um, anytime I listen to that Francis Chan guy, I always question that too, so don't worry about it. Get rid of the anxiousness. Because you're saying, well, what if I'm not doing enough good deeds? To be pleasing to God. I think there's questions in our life that are the wrong questions, and that is one of them. That is the wrong question, because I think what we need to ask is this. Since good deeds please God, how can I do more of them? That is the question we need to ask. Not, am I doing enough, but how can I do more of them to please God? The first question is born of fear. The second question is born of love. Because our doing for God isn't, Because, like my dad said, the reason why he was driven away from church is because he went to parochial school when he grew up, and he was drugged to church every Sunday, and he literally has scars from getting smacked with rulers and all those things. He said one time the priest actually took him down into the basement and gave him a pair of boxing gloves, and the priest also put on boxing gloves. And that's how they handled his disobedience. Think you'd like church if that were the case? Kind of a weird thinking in, in, in that. And, you know, it's because he wasn't doing what was right. 
That's not why we do because we're beaten into submission. We do because we've been given Jesus Christ and he has loved us that very much that we respond in that way. Because of God's kind good deeds, those are the reflections of our love for God. Think about this. Shortly after Jesus had died and he had resurrected, Peter was probably going through some serious issues. You've got to think about it. He denied Jesus three times after he told him, I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to do all these things. And he's probably just feeling humiliated. I mean, we've all felt that way for just making the wrong decision and making poor choices like that. He probably just feels terrible. And he goes, I can only imagine that at that point in time in his life, he said, you know what? I'm probably better at fishing. I'm going to go back to that. I'm tired of this. I'm not good at being a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to take off. So he goes out and he goes fishing. And he's out fishing with a bunch of the guys. And somebody shows up on the shore. Says, hey, throw your net the other side. Kind of something he'd heard similar before about three years earlier. Pulls in a bunch of fish. As a matter of fact, the weird thing is the Bible actually says he pulls in 153 fish. Not sure what that's all about. But he pulls them in. They come into the, into the boat or in off the boat. And they, they get on the side and they have this big fish fry. And they're all sitting around. They're eating. And, and Jesus is talking. And they understood who it was. And they're like, wow, you came back from the dead. And now you're eating fish with us. This is awesome. And, and we're sitting around talking. And he says, hey, Peter. I know you've got some doubts going on in your head. Let, let's uh, step over here and just talk for a second. And that talk was actually found in verse uh, 15 of John chapter 21. And it says this, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon son of John, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And I'm sure there's lots of parallels in that, the fact that he denied him three times. I'm sure there's lots of it. But look what he says. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. See, Jesus could have asked Peter about a whole sorts of things. He said, could have said, Simon, son of John, you've made, have you made a credible profession of faith? And Peter could have answered, well, in the, I was the first one to ever say it. You asked what we believe you are. And I said, I know that you are the son of God, the Christ. He said, could have said, Simon, son of John, do you hold an important role in the church? Do you have church leadership responsibilities? And Simon, Peter could have said, you know I do. You're the one that uh, blessed me to be the apostle. I'm supposed to be the one that the whole church is built on. He could have said, Simon, son of John, have you had any amazing supernatural experiences? And he could have said, well, you're the one that called me out of the boat and walked on water. And I got to cast out demons. Yeah, I would say I've had a few experiences, but he didn't say any of those things. He simply asked the question, do you love me? I think that is the thing that separates true Christians from false. The real from the fake is our love for God. Because see, without the love for God, nothing else matters. See, I think way too often in our lives, we love our families, which is great. We love our jobs, which is great. We love our hobbies, great. But we put Jesus on hold. We put 
that one thing that we're supposed to go all in for. I'm not sure if you remember all the way back to all in when we did it in January. Love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. But yet, he doesn't get that. We'll do that with our everything else, but not with God, the one who is supposed to be the Lord of our lives. He says, Peter, do you love me? Because if you do, do the things you know will please me. My question for you is this, very simply. Though we put on the suit, though we put on the dress, though we tell people we're going to church and we get in the car and we may fight all the way here, but we put on the smiles when we finally get here and then we get back into the fighting when we get back into the car. Do you really love God? And if so, are you doing the things that will please Him? See, if we live our life according to him, to his teaching, to his example, that's what we talked about when we first started to protect this house. Don't just put on the suit and say, this is who I am from 10 to 11, 15 every morning. Put it on all the time. Because God has called you and I to act that way with a suit on or the suit off. We are who we are all the time. Just like Tony Stark is Iron Man all the time. We're supposed to be Christians all the time, and we bear the name of Jesus to people who don't know him and the people who do. That is my challenge to you today. That is my challenge to you throughout this week, is to live a life that glorifies Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for who you are, and that even, God, that you forgive us when we, when we fail. God, it's way too often that I do. It's way too often that I blow up at my kids in front of other people, and they say, wow, that's a pastor. It's way too often that I put somebody down and somebody says, wow, that's a pastor. It's way too often that I just let you down in general when I know what you want, but I do my own thing. God, you're such a forgiving and loving God, and I'm thankful for that. But God, we have this life that too often revolves around hypocrisy. We have this life that too often revolves around play-acting Christian. And God, you obviously put that story of the sheep and the goats in there for our attention to understand that we can't just play act. We have to truly love you and everything come out of our, what we do is a reflection of our love for you. God, if we've wandered away from you, bring us back into the fold. If we have made choices based on what we can get recognized for, God, change our thinking. As you know, God, we come just as we are, but we don't want to stay that way. We want you to change us so, Lord, we can go change the world. Pray, God, we do that today and for the rest of this week. And through your power and through your strength, it will be accomplished. We pray it in your name. Amen.